Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Frankenstein, a liberal adaptation from Mrs. Shelley's famous story for Edison Production. A 1910 short silent film um, adapting the classic Mary Shelley novel into a very short film that is very liberally adapted from it. I love your word liberal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they have to put that in the title because there's a lot missing from the story. Um, right. They changed the ending. Um, there are a bunch of title cards, which I have made note of, and I think are interesting. And I, I was thinking about how the pl- film would play in my own mind without the title cards, because I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what the words, like, hmm, I don't know about that word. But um, I, I'll read the title cards, and I'll sort of give you each scene, because each scene is preceded by a title card. Excellent. Frankenstein departs for college. Next. Oh, wait a minute. First, first came the one that you just said. Ah, yes. yes. Frankenstein, the liberal. It's the, it has trademark and copyright 1910 Edison. Make sure we say Edison a lot so that everybody knows how smart Edison is. Oh. <laughs> and the patent is on there and how it was reissued. And right, He's responsible for film, this magic you see before you. And then the next uh, title card says, Frankenstein departs for college. Then we have a scene. Uh, just before the experiment, and we have a scene. Instead of a perfect human being, comma. Sorry, I think you missed one. Did I? Yeah, it's Franken. One of the reasons I'm concerned is because the scenes have radically different lengths. Frankenstein departs for college, starts at minute twenty, at, at minute zero seconds twenty three, mm-hmm. and then at minute zero seconds forty five. No, it's just twenty two seconds later. We get. Two years later, Frankenstein has discovered the mystery ah, of yes, life. I, I, you're right, I did see that. Two years later, Frankenstein has discovered the mystery of life. A very short scene. Just before the experiment, then the next one is, instead of a perfect human being, I think it's a comma, the evil in Frankenstein's mind creates a monster. Uh-huh. And then we have a, a, a fairly long scene. And then Frank... I've made notes. Frank, instead of Frankenstein, appalled at the sight of his evil creation. Then the next scene, the return home. Next scene is haunting his creator and jealous of his sweetheart for the first time the monster sees himself. Then, on the next bridal night, uh, sorry, on their bridal night, Frankenstein... Frankenstein's better nature assert, asserting itself. The grammar is a bit strange in in these title cards. And then the final title card, the creation of an evil mind is overcome by love and disappears. Again, the grammar is a bit weird. So I was thinking about how if I was to see this without the title cards, which is sort of standard in silent films to have title cards. To I, Usually it's with dialogue. There's no dialogue in any of these title cards um but he's talking a lot his his wife his mom his his father i guess um the creature talks a lot and we never get any of those words we we do get a letter uh which he he is i guess another kind of title card 
and that gives us something of what they were thinking or talking about at least but uh it's very liberal in that the <laughs> ending I, I, it's it's all a psycho it's a psychology story rather than I never thought of... I've read Frankenstein. I never thought of it as it's all in his mind. I mean, there there are aspects to the story where uh, they think he's the murderer. He's the he's the one who's doing it. But I never thought it, it's, it's all he's crazy. <laughs> he is crazy, but not in that way, if you know what I mean. One of the... Uh, I mean, the novel... Uh, is subtitled A Modern Prometheus. Mm -hmm. Um, Victor Frankenstein brings down a spark of life and manages to turn what had been dead body parts um, into living body parts. He doesn't create life, but he reanimates the parts of life that had died. Uh, Here, in fact... Frankenstein doesn't start with body parts. He starts with maybe a skeleton. There are skeletons scattered all around. Mm -hmm. But that scene in which uh, the monster is created, which is the longest scene in the entire movie, the whole movie, uh, including the titles of the beginning and the end, you know, the Library of Congress. The whole movie is a tad over 13 minutes long. There are many scenes. You've given us the names of the title cards. The, uh, that one scene is three minutes and 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right? It is the longest scene. And what we see there is an armature that accrues more and more stuff until eventually a humanoid thing comes out. Um, this is not what's in the book. This is not rating. That's um, it's, it's, it's explicitly not in the book. That's the thing is we never see the creation itself, the, the act of creation or the, uh, the experiment as they call it. Right. And so uh, I, I don't want to quibble too much with you about what's, what actually, how he makes the dead body, how he makes Frankenstein, because I don't agree with your, your interpretation, but but that's the thing is this one is doing the exact opposite of what the book is, which is showing. Though I think the whole purpose of this short film is they they realized we can film things backwards. <laughs> that's the whole. And then the, everything else is like, oh, this is delightful. We can we can create Frankenstein, and and this is going to be an amazing you, special you, effect. You create the monster. Yes, the the, the yeah, unnamed creature. I, I do understand that in Shelley's novel there is no experiment shown in the body of the novel, but in the preface we're told about the work of uh, certain scientists, including Volta, being sure. able to make body parts move after yes. they've done. So th- there is the notion there. It, um, it absolutely, and that's the that is a very, um, a very strong strongly it's, held idea and it's not it's not irrefutable because it, we're never shown it but in here that's the exact opposite it, it, this this is film right and so right. everything has to this is the this is the premiere scene that's why it's so long uh, i think the actor playing the creature afterwards does a great job and that's very iconic and there's all sorts of good stuff going on in this film but the the special effect of uh seeing the composition 
from decomposition by filming backward, you know, running right. the tape backwards or the film backwards is the amazing special effect. And there are other special effects. That's that what I was going to say. There are other amazing special effects indeed. Too, that also move this away from the underlying thematics of the novel. Right. In the novel, as I say, the subtitle is a modern Prometheus. And what we find, we even have direct criticism of Victor Frankenstein by his professors at Ingolstadt, that he is too devoted to science. He is has a clouded view. His father sends a message through his best friend that if you won't answer my letter, then I take it, if you're not fulfilling your obligations to us, you're not fulfilling your obligations to humanity in general. This is bad. And the father sends that letter to him with through his friend Henry. And in, the, in response, Victor moves off to the Hebrides to continue his experiments as he becomes ever less socially engaged. In this film, as soon as Victor thinks that he is able to make the most perfect human who's ever been made, he writes a letter about it to his fiance. Mm-hmm. Right? This is, in fact, as you said, an opposite of the novel. Mm-hmm. Because here we have someone who wants to be a participant in society and uses this as a way to be a participant in society. So a modern Prometheus, that's the over, over desire for knowledge. What we have here, and it's explicit in the title cards, Frankenstein is appalled at the sight of his evil creation. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the creation of an evil mind is overcome by love and right. disappears. And so this is not a story about the relationship of a person to a desire for power through knowledge. It's a story about love and evil, theological evil. The other great special effect in this, or to me, the, the, the other greatest special effect in this has to do with the mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll stop for a minute. I want to come back to that, but maybe you want, since you like the special effects so much, what do you think about the, the use of the mirror here? Uh, again, it's a I, filmic thing. Yeah, I, I think that the, the device, the, the special effects, because they're, this is this, I can't imagine exactly what it would be like to see these sorts of special effects for the first time. These are, these are fantasies that cannot be seen in reality, right? It's, it's running reality backwards is not possible until you... It's not really conceivable until you have the ability to film something and then run the film backwards. This is something they did at school when I was young, you know. Uh, when they're rewinding the, the film, sometimes the, the teacher would leave the film on and we could enjoy the film backwards and see the cars driving backwards down the street. So the the fact that this was done for the first time in film, you know, long ago, and people are exploiting the, all the possibilities of being able to record moving images. It's amazing, and you can do all sorts of amazing things. And, and of course, that that um, the scene with the mirror that you you are pointing to is also it's it's a, it's a kind of special effect that once we have this technology, once we have this ability to do something, all sorts of possibilities open up. And you can tell all sorts of different kinds of stories in a way that uh, a novel like um, uh, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde can do things in the novel form that you can't do 
in a uh, a poem, or, or not in the same way, anyways. I Each- guess what I wanted, what I what what moved me. Maybe it's different from what's moving you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. We first see that mirror off to one side. I mean, this 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 is online, so go to the Library of Congress and you can get this edition. Mm-hmm. Um, the we see Victor sitting in 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 a room. We see him in sort of in profile, and there's a mirror uh, off to the right. And through that mirror, we see someone entering the room. Uh, I guess a, it's Elizabeth. Th- Is that his his girl? Uh, well, his- we, there's a number of things going on, but a key thing which sort of foreshadows what the Marx Brothers do in one of their most famous routines. Victor can see himself in the mirror when he stands up. We can see that. The monster can see himself in the mirror when he stands up. But there comes a point at which the monster is looking at himself. And then Victor comes and then he turns into Victor in the the mirror. And Victor, when he sees the monster becoming Victor, is overjoyed, presumably because the real Victor is the good guy, not right. the evil part of him. As if the monster were only the evil projection of a bad aspect of, of Victor. In that sense, it's like the novel where the monster could be seen as a, a, a projection of this overweening desire for, for science that's inadequate to the novel because at, when he's first created, the creature is actually innocent and and wonderful in so many ways here he's not innocent and wonderful but in fact rather than harassing his creator he realizes that he is ugly he looks in the mirror sees himself is horrified aesthetically and so reverts to being victor and then disappears from the mirror right and then victor is replaced he victor is seeing himself the monster just voluntarily goes away. In other words, the creature of an evil mind is overcome by love and disappears. So at the end, Victor is with his bride, whereas in the novel, the bride has been killed. Mm-hmm. All right. So the consequences for the modern Prometheus, for overreaching what a man should not do, what even gods are punished for, is death to those around them. But the the consequences for a modern man is that a good woman is going to make this all <laughs> right. This is so radically different. But one thing I love about this, I just love it. It's such a wonderful historical irony. The monster, the monster who is in fact the projection of the evil that is a part of Victor's mind, the theological evil who finally, when he can see, he can, can he can see himself, just voluntarily disappears, and we get that film trick of the the image in the mirror going away and then being replaced. That guy, that actor, Charles Ogle, mm-hmm. is the son of a minister. <laughs> it's just wonderful because now you can imagine Charles Ogle saying, "Daddy, <laughs> go down to the the nickel, you know, to the vaudeville hall." And when they show this film, I want you to look. That's me. Come back from the grave or whatever. That's me. Well, it's not come back from the grave. Um, but I come to learn better. You may think that I was bad for going off after the world of commerce and going to work with that scientist Edison. But by golly, I portrayed what it was like to realize the importance of love and voluntarily disappeared from that scene. 
It's a wonderful father-son relationship, I think, in Charles Ogle's own life. <laughs> I actually uh, I, I knew of Ogle before I knew of this film um, because uh, early on in my uh, website, there was uh, an award for so- something called the Ogle Award for Horror which is for audio drama, which is interesting because he's not known for audio drama, but there's a picture of him. There's also a Mark Time Award. This is a sort of a audio drama awards. And the, the Mark Time Award was for science fiction, and the Ogle Award was for horror. It's a way of honoring this sort of, this first uh, Lon Chaney Jr. before Lon Chaney Jr. and all of these. Uh, because it, it is a horror story. He, his His... If you if you have listened thus far into the podcast and you haven't watched the film, you need to watch the film if only to see this iconic monster that you've never seen before. He's the <laughs> Frankenstein before the Frankenstein of the 1930s films. And he looks radically different, his creation is radically different. And yet uh I think that there's there's some really this is actually a very good film because even though it is so uh uh, free with the adaptation. <laughs> yes. It is, it is an interest, a really interesting use of the powers of special effects to show science fiction ideas. And uh, although it's undercut with the, uh, sort of the, the point of this is all in his head. Um, he just went cr- crazy and now he's, I, cause as far as I can tell, the the actual creation, which which is the is the biggest scene, actually couldn't have actually ever happened. I guess in reality, and the, yeah. another great thing that we haven't talked about is in that creation of a perfect creature. Um, uh, there are all the skulls around. There's also the full body uh, skeleton, um, but sitting in his own chair. Yeah, the, sitting in a chair, and then. He, there's this, these doors that close and a little uh, peephole that is turned aside. And every time Frankenstein looks through the peephole at the creation as it's being created, we see what's through the keyhole. And this is very important for the for the idea of point of view and film. So that when he's looking through that peephole and then we are seeing through that peephole what he's seeing, then... It cuts away to him reacting to it. This is a very filmic kind of triangular relationship that I think is very important. And and it sort of works against the, the resolution, the idea, because um, that creature alive in that pot as it's coming to life, or I guess the, uh, the puppet <laughs> that's being created, it becomes a, a full a full naked creature that wants love and is rejected and has all the same sort of problems that the Frankenstein monster has in the novel, but then it's all, it's all wiped away. And I guess if I walked out of the movie theater, if that's how they filmed these kinetoscopes or demonstrated these kinetoscope films at the time, I, I would be like, wow, that's amazing. And then sort of not think about how the story doesn't really make any sense. Well, you know, the story, you're right, the story doesn't make any sense. But I think that as as a piece of film history, it is certainly as important as you say. Uh, from the technology point of view, from the p- point of view of developing 
motifs and tropes to manipulate our sense of mm-hmm. viewpoint. Uh, I would point out, though, that there are other underlying thematic issues that the movie also deals with. For example, that that double door, that set of double doors that Victor Frankenstein closes so that the pot can go, and then he checks on the progress through the peephole. He bars that door. Yes, he does. From the outside. That looks a heck of a lot like what Gretel does once she puts the witch into the into the oven. This is true. Uh, and I can't help but think that Victor must have had some premonition that what he was doing needed to be controlled, that something was wrong. He didn't he barred it from the outside. Right, so that whatever was in there couldn't get out. But then he looks into his little oven. He's baking up a human being yeah. without the collaboration of a woman, just as in the novel. But he says, just before he does this experiment, this will be the most perfect human being ever. He wants to create something without collaboration. He wants to bake it. But he must know that there's something evil here because he bars that door. And the fact that he knows that it's evil is in perfect keeping with his immediate response once he sees it. He faints. He, I mean, right. this guy drops more than any actor I've ever seen. True. It's, it's sort of comical. So does his bride. It's a whole family full of droppers. Um, and so what we're getting here is uh, a thematic exploration of what it means for a person to be of two minds. The monster is not simply evil. He is not just the creation of an evil mind. The proof of that, as in the novel, where he begins, the creature begins as innocent. The proof of that in this in this film is when he realizes himself, which he gets from the mirror scene, and it's aesthetic, it's perfectly in keeping with film as a medium, when he realizes what he is, he doesn't just say, so by golly, I'll be evil. He decides to remove himself from humanity. He tries to become what Victor appears to be, the good part of the man. So in that sense, this film is not just about special effects, although clearly that brings people into the theater. Um, But it tries to pick up something that Mary Shelley does have, which is that there is uh, both a good and a bad impulse within people. And if you let the bad impulse, in this case, it's for creation rather than, than knowledge. Um, if you let the bad impulse overtake things, bad things will happen, but the good impulse can reassert itself. It's tragic in the novel because Victor dies. But here we get the Hollywood ending. <laughs> we actually do where the guy and the girl are embracing at the end. It's a perfect Hollywood ending as the twist on Mary Shelley's original novel. So when you see this, as you were talking about how important it is in the history of film, it's not important only for its use of tech of technology and only for trying to give us things to look at that will keep us coming into the theater. It's also giving us a dramatic arc that has come for many to characterize the entire industry for the next century afterwards. Hmm. Yep. I, I, I want to read that letter. That's the only thing that we actually get from his perspective. I, I can't imagine 
that the title cards are supposed to represent his own thoughts on the matter because that doesn't make any sense. So there's some sort of external uh, outside viewer that uh, even it makes me want to have sort of a subversive reading of the title cards, but the letter is supposed to be from his point of view. And it's just a funny letter because it's so oblivious to things that he should not be oblivious to. It reads like this. Sweetheart, tonight my ambition will be accomplished. I have discovered the secret of life and death, and in a few hours I shall create into life the most perfect human being that the world has yet known. Uh, which is very interesting. And then, when this marvelous work is accomplished, I shall then return to claim you for my bride, your devoted Frankenstein. <laughs> so, uh, there's a kind of a simplicity there that I guess is good. Uh, but, um, she doesn't seem to, she doesn't have a name. <laughs> she doesn't have any will of her own. He's going to claim her. Uh, whether, I guess she likes him. Uh, I guess it's shown that she likes him. Um, but, uh, it's not your devoted, uh, you know, Victor, <laughs> it's, oh. it's very impersonal and, and almost silly. Um, what's he, he's going to create this perfect human being. Then we're going to get married and I guess ha- raise kids and they'll, they'll be imperfect beings or, or like, he didn't think this through. <laughs> Well, of course, the standard one of the standard critical observations about the novel, and that applies here as well, is um, he didn't think it through, but the author sure did. Right. <laughs> right. It's it's a it is not a comment on what's wrong with women. <laughs> it's a comment on what's wrong with men. Mm-hmm. And, and Edison picks that up. I love the scenes in the li- in the parents' living room where we see the father sitting and doing nothing but smoking. Right. But the mother is always doing something industrious. A very Uh, long pipe. A very long pipe. Freud would approve, I'm sure. I I, want to make note, you mentioned the doors as well, um, of the the oven. It it reminded me, the size of the doors uh, reminded me very much of the, of the, the, the doors of the house, his parents' house. It, these French doors leading to a view of the city, and when you walk through the through those doors, everybody had to duck because it's <laughs> a little bit too low, just like the oven. And um, when he comes when he comes through those doors, and then later the creature comes through those doors, and then the creature flees through those doors, and and the girlfriend or the fiance uh, sort of catches a glimpse of of the creature fleeing as Victor comes in. There, it's almost becomes like a French farce, you know. Like there's the evil me, um, who wants to ravage you before we we get married, and there's the the good me who is like go away <laughs> to the horrible monster. And there's a kind of uh, I, I mean they're reusing the sets, uh, they, I guess. But but I, I would I would I would point something out to you. Um, when the the monster is in the room that has the mirror and the fiance comes in, Victor sees that she's coming in, he quickly ushers the monster behind the drapery. Right. And there he, I mean, the monster could just say, hell no. no I don't he cooperates. <laughs> but no, he cooperates. Yep. And so this not only suggests that the monster and the creator are doppelgangers of each other, but it also suggests that ultimately letting his evil be incarnate 
is just an episode for Victor. Right? It's just an episode. Really, he's a good son. Really, he's a good student. Really, he's a good fiance. That's why he wrote this letter and promised to come back. You know, really, he's a good guy. Even his evil part is trying to cooperate with society. In that sense, it's quite different from the novel mm-hmm. because Victor, in fact, lies from the beginning. And when he tries to undo his own bad, he dies in the process. This is this is a much more interesting film, I think, than uh, many people have given it credit for mm-hmm. because it seems so crude, but it's not, I think. It's a liberal use of Frankenstein to produce a different kind of Frankenstein mm-hmm. that is still worth us saying many more things because... There is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.